Hey guys, Bill here. Coming up today on the Bill Barnwell Show, two mics at ESPN. I think this is my idea. First time anyone's ever done this. Mike Triplett, Mike Reese joining me to talk about the Saints and Patriots and their quarterbacks, respectively. Two free agents in Drew Brees and Tom Brady. We know Drew Brees is staying, but what about Taysom Hill and Teddy Bridgewater? And what about Tom Brady? Where is he going to go with the New England Patriots? So we're going to talk about that. And I also want to remind everybody about the Low Post podcast with Zach Lowe. Of course, my old friend from Grantland, Zach does incredible work covering the NBA. This week, Zach is discussing the MVP race and if it's Giannis's to lose. Download and subscribe to The Low Post and The Bill Barnwell Show, of course, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And guys, you may have heard of a COO by the name of Dylan Miskowitz. He is a real business owner who struggled with finding the right fit for his director of coffee role until he turned a ZipRecruiter. Well, a lot has happened since he made his first hire with ZipRecruiter. His organic coffee business, Cafe Altura, grew and Cafe Altura's distribution increased and they expanded their product offerings. Cafe Altura has grown so much that Dylan had to hire a junior roaster and a second director of coffee. And no surprise, when he was looking for that director of coffee, he went through ZipRecruiter. And right now, you can try ZipRecruiter just like Dylan did for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Barnwell. While Dylan was busy managing his booming business and, of course, signing autographs as a podcast hero, ZipRecruiter did the work for him. Its matching technology found people with the right skills and experience and actively invited them to apply. In fact, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So see for yourself how ZipRecruiter makes hiring faster and easier, from coffee roaster to construction worker to CMO. To try ZipRecruiter for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Barnwell, my last name, B-A-R-N-W-E-L-L, ZipRecruiter.com slash Barnwell. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now let's start the show. All right. Joining me now, as promised, on the show starting off today, good friend of the show, someone who has had, for the first time in a long time, a relatively quiet January, leading into, unfortunately, a very exciting March. It's our Patriots reporter at ESPN, Mike Reese. Mike, how are you? Bill, I love it. Uh, with, uh, <laughs> I have a, a daughter who's turning 11, and she's not used to having her dad around in January. I think she, <laughs> she took full advantage of it, as did our soon-to-be 8-year-old, who's like, wait, wait a minute, Dad, aren't you usually, like, going crazy in January? Yes. Yeah, aren't you in Denver or Baltimore? Right? Every Denver, single. Kansas City, even even when I'm at home, they're like, aren't you preparing to go to a Super Bowl or something? Right, exactly. It's just a Super Bowl without the Patriots? We, we don't know this. Right, it's strange. And what's even stranger would be a Patriots team without Tom Brady, who has been with this team, of course, since 2000. And I, I mean, you know, I, I have to admit, I, I will preface this conversation by saying this. Until it's week one of 2020 and Tom Brady is wearing a different uniform and throwing passes for a different team, I am still of the volition that Tom Brady is going to be the quarterback of the New England Patriots next season. But, and Mike, let me know if you agree, it seems like there is at least more smoke to the fire of Tom Brady leaving New England than there has ever been before during his tenure with the Patriots. Oh, I think that's fair. Bill, you know, just because we've never been in this situation before in terms of him getting to this point in his contract. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're just a couple weeks away from, you know, him becoming a free agent, which in and of itself creates a dynamic that we've never, 
you know, we've never really had, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. So I'm with you on that. Um, what, what fascinates me is, and I love the use of the word smoke uh, <laughs> around it, is how much of that smoke is real versus how much of it is the media culture that we're in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, look, we all have, you know, things to talk about, and there's intriguing possibilities but how much of it is real and how much of it is sort of imagined, if you will. And, mm-hmm. and that, to me, is what fascinates me as we wait to see how this all unfolds. Mm-hmm. So let's start there. I mean, in terms of Brady's relationship with the team, in terms of what you you know saw in the locker room or just from your reporting on the Patriots, I mean, was there, was there anything that happened during the season that sort of clicked in your head and made you think, oh, he might not be here next year. Or was it just sort of, you know, obviously a disappointing season, but but nothing really happened that came to mind for you that made you think, oh, there's there's reasons to be concerned here? So nothing along those lines to that extreme, Bill, mm-hmm. where I was like, wow, Tom might not be back. But I will say there was one moment that stood out to me that was puzzling and and had me searching for more answers. And mm-hmm. it was after they had beaten the Eagles in mid-November and they had not played well offensively in the game. Mm-hmm. And Tom came out to his post-game news conference, and he was comatose, mm-hmm. and he was flatlining every answer, and, and you would have thought they lost the game. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking to myself, like, is he concussed right mm-hmm. now in that right. moment? And when I realized later that he wasn't, it spoke to me, about the depths of his frustration mm-hmm. with where the offense was and sort of where it might even be able to go, if that makes sense. And that was in mid-November um, at that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there was that, I can't think of the exact way he phrased it, and I feel bad because it's such a good quote, but Greg Rosenthal um, tweeted something during the year about how you know Tom Brady was the king of of throwing a pass to nobody in particular and then wildly gesturing at that spot like a receiver was supposed to be there. I, I mean, even beyond the, you know, even beyond the sheer physicality issues where there weren't necessarily, you know, that the, the Randy Mosses or the Antonio Browns or, you know, the receivers who were able just to get open on their own besides Julian Edelman or Rob, or for the chunk of the season. Of course, Rob Gronkowski comes to mind as well, but, um, there wasn't that sort of guy in that, on that offense besides Edelman who could sort of get himself open. But it also felt like there were just issues in terms of, you know, actually running plays correctly. That whether it was the receivers not knowing the scheme well enough, but with guys like Mohamed Sanu and then Kill Harry coming in for the first time and the turnover at tight end or the offensive line not playing well or just, you know, a, a variety of issues. But it felt like the issues were not always necessarily just related to talent. It seemed like it was related to just knowing where to be. I think you highlight a good point. And it's specifically what I what I like, Bill, was the idea that they need guys that can win one-on-one matchups, mm-hmm. you know, based on their sheer athleticism. And that's why, you know, they, they went the Antonio Brown route, which ended up being regrettable for them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, part of it, I would say with the young guys, the Jacoby Myers and the Nikhil Harris, there's an aspect of knowing where to be, right? Mm-hmm. I sort of, I sort of bottom line it and say, like Philip Dorsett, 
he knew where he had to be, yep. right? It was just, was it at the, was, were the physical skills at the level that they needed it to be based mm-hmm. on the role he had been playing, right. you know, as a number one or two receiver? Sanu is a good point. I mean, they trade for him in late October, and, you know, that, that's a lot to digest, you know, on the fly in this mm-hmm. offense. And, and he's a veteran who's very smart. And then he gets injured, you know, with the high ankle sprain, and it sort of changed everything. Mm-hmm. Outside of Edelman, it was just a lot of, like, we need more, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's got to be a big focus going forward for them. Do you think there is that sort of, you know, and obviously I'm not sure if you – necessarily know the answer to this but do you think there is that demand or at least that concern from the brady camp of oh we have to add weapons for tom or else this offense is going to continue to struggle well so i i, I would think that certainly he doesn't want to go through a similar situation as this year mm-hmm. so i think it's fair to look at it from that perspective and say yeah if if he knew it was going to be like if he knew 2020 was going to be like 2019 mm-hmm. like his desire to leave, I would think, and this is just my opinion, it's not based on anything I've heard him say, mm-hmm. yeah, he'd probably be more inclined to want to see what else is out there and maybe even go. Mm-hmm. But I just can't imagine common sense, Bill, like him looking at it and saying, like, he's not going to do that to me again. And when mm-hmm. I say he, I'm talking about Bill Belichick, like, they, they're, like, that would be, they can't go into the season with their tight end situation similar to what it was. Mm-hmm. Like, it just not good enough you know ranking last in the league in terms of you know tight end receptions and touchdown catches and we could pick up some other stats that they were last in the league and mm-hmm. any more from that position and it's hard for me to believe that just common sense wouldn't sort of say well obviously we're going to do that like we didn't do a good job in that area last year mm-hmm. so i think that is important to tom i think if i had to make an educated guess and i i think in this story it's important to me to sort of make that definitive line between what we know and what we think we know. I would say if I had to make a, and this is more what I think I know, like the weapons, they're going to work on that. I think it's more along the lines of, look, the last two years we've tried to work with my contract and, Mm -hmm. you know, there've been pay bumps, but we haven't extended the deal out. I'd like to play till I'm 45. Can we reach some common ground on, trying to make that happen where we don't necessarily have to have the struggle that we've had the last two years in terms of addressing the contract. And Tom has more leverage now, you know, because he is a free agent, right? Whereas the last two years when they were trying to work with the contract, he was under contract already, so he didn't have the same level of leverage that he has now. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting, Mike. And I wanted to ask you about that because let's go back to August 4th, 2019. So Tom Brady has one year left on his deal with a $27 million cap hit, $14 million base salary. Tom Brady was going to take home $15 million in cash through his base salary and his roster bonus. And you can understand, even though Tom Brady's reputation is, hey, I'm always going to take less money to, you know, to help out the Patriots. And that's certainly something that we hear about, you know, time after time after time as one of the virtues of Tom Brady. Tom Brady wanted a raise. Tom Brady wanted more money. And... Instead of offering Tom Brady a multi-year contract, even though it was billed as a two-year, $70 million deal, because there were those voidable years tacked onto the deal, what it really was was a way to give Tom Brady a raise without 
increasing his cap hit. His cap hit actually dropped from 27 million to 21 and a half million. And at the same time, Tom Brady ended up taking home, I believe, 22, 23 million dollars for the 2019 season. So he gets a bit of a raise and the cap hit comes down. But in the process, the Patriots lose the ability to franchise tag Tom Brady and they have that $13.5 million in dead money, which if they don't sign Tom Brady before March 18th, accelerates onto their salary cap for 2020. So, Mike, let me ask you this. In terms of the Brady contract last year, were you surprised the Patriots just didn't give Brady a bigger extension as opposed to giving him that sort of one year pay bump without really changing his term, the terms of his, uh, you know, his long term employment with the football team. So I can't say that, that I was surprised, Bill, because I think the words that Tom himself had used was, were uncharted waters, mm-hmm. right? Like a quarterback at age 42 had never started every regular season game. Right. So the idea that the Patriots wouldn't invest into those years, like, didn't surprise me. Like, Bill Belichick has talked in the past about how in his career he's seen the, the I, I don't know if it, he used the words cliff, but the drop-off yep. can go from, you know, look, this player looks like this a certain year, and then the next year, once they get to a certain age, it just falls off. Like, I've heard him say that, Bill, back mm-hmm. in the 2000s, whether when he was reflecting maybe on his time earlier in his career. So the idea that they weren't investing into Tom Brady's, you know, 43-year-old season, 44-year-old season, 45, you know, 45-year-old mm-hmm. season didn't surprise me in that respect um, that they wanted to go year to year. Like, so I can't say that I was shocked at that. Um, I think it does bring up the question now, are they more likely to do that? Right. Because maybe their eyes have been opened, mm-hmm. you know, to say, look, before we were reluctant, now, like, maybe we got to take the plunge to make mm-hmm. this work because, one, maybe we're not crazy about our options otherwise. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that's part of the decision, right? <clears throat> but also, too, like, like, maybe he's earned that from us, you mm-hmm. know? And so maybe we should take the plunge even though we're not even that certain ourselves mm-hmm. how it's going to go. That's what I find so interesting is that, Think about where he was last year. He was coming off of a very good season. They had won a Super Bowl. You know, obviously we all knew, hey, Tom Brady is in his 40s. At some point this is going to happen, but it wasn't as if there were enormous signs that he was going to drop off. And the Patriots gave him a one-year deal. Now you get to 2020. Well, he did drop off last year. And we can, you know, obviously I don't blame him for that entirely, but I mean, the numbers did fall off dramatically for Tom Brady last year. And... It seems like they're going to be stuck realistically, or at least they're hoping to, give Tom Brady a deal that will pay for those same years anyway. I I can't imagine that he's going to, you know, look at free agency and say, hey, you know, if the Raiders are offering me a three-year deal or the the Chargers are offering me a three-year deal or, the you know, all all these teams that you'd figure are going to be offering him, you know, multi-year contracts and are willing to take that plunge to take him to 45, that the Patriots, given their options elsewhere – aren't going to be willing to match those offers. So it, it just seems like, you know, uh, uh, they couldn't know what was going to happen, but it, it, this this scenario was not unlikely, I would say, and yet the Patriots, even though he has dropped off, are going to do the same thing that they weren't really really willing to do this time last year. 
and the, and 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 so, and I love this discussion, Bill. Mm-hmm. And I think what I would highlight is the leverage factor in yep. the sense of why didn't they do it last year? Well, mm-hmm. maybe because they felt like they didn't have to. Right. Like they still had Brady under contract for 2019, and they said, you know what? Let's take the conservative tack of like, you know what? Like we're not so so sure we want to do that, so we'll put off the decision a year and we'll gather the information from another year and then make the decision again. Now in doing that, they put them they they, they assume some risk. Tom Tom makes it through the season, he does what no forty two year old quarterback has mm-hmm. ever done before, start every game. And now, you know, you got a situation where you he's a flight risk, right? Mm-hmm. Because he can he's got the leverage now. So that to me is interesting. And now that Tom has the leverage, in my opinion, does that change their decision making? Very fascinating for me when I look at it through that lens. Absolutely. And I think, you know, given the terms of the deal they signed, it seemed pretty clear that Tom Brady was going to have the leverage just because as part of that extension, they were not allowed to franchise Brady. So, I mean, this is a guy who forget what he does in the football field, forget what he does as a player. I mean, there is that, that simple question of if you're the Las Vegas Raiders, number one, you're going to sell a billion Tom Brady jerseys. Number two, you are moving into a brand new stadium and you have to sell tickets and they're going to be fine selling tickets, I think, but you have to have a, a, a marquee player. I remember talking to Lindsey Jones about this, where when he drove around in Las Vegas a couple of years ago, the, the, the guy on the Raiders billboard was not a player. It was John Gruden. He was, you know, the, he was the drawing point. And now if you have Tom Brady, well, that fundamentally changes your franchise for the next couple of years, even if he ends up being just, you know, an okay quarterback. It, it's more about just the, the impact he makes to your bottom line outside of the football field. And, yes. you know, for the Patriots, obviously, you know, at this point, everyone, in New England, who wanted a Tom Brady jersey, probably has six or seven at this point. Um, you know, he's made a huge impact to this team financially uh, on and off the field, but um, they're going to have to compete with that. And I think that's such a fascinating thing because at the end of the day, I mean, you know, it, is there a price tag for the Patriots and Bill Belichick where for so many years with so many veterans – They've made, they, they said, okay, this is our, our line and we're not going to go past it. We're going to, you know, trade Logan Mankins. We're going to move on from Richard Seymour. We're going to, you know, even going back to all those years ago, we're going to move on from Tubucky Jones, um, and Lawyer Malloy. Uh, you know, we're going to get rid of everyone if, if the price tag is not right and if they're past their prime. I always thought Brady was going to be the exception to that rule. I, it seems like that might not be the case. Well, I I believe, and again, this is that line between what we know and what we think we know. Right. I mean, I believe, I believe, Bill, like they're going to have that line for Tom, and now they might be more willing to 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 stretch themselves, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, because of his uh, status as an iconic figure in the organization. But if it goes too far, like I I do believe, like it'll be the same, you know, mm-hmm. situation. I think to me on that, I'm just not sure like that that number like I don't know if Tom if Tom's going for the bottom line, then it's mm-hmm. a factor. Right. I just think to me, like Tom's never been a hundred percent about that. Like you know what I mean? Like he's never been like, I gotta be the highest paid guy. Right. 
Yeah, he wants to get paid, right? I mean, and, and wants to feel valued, which how do you show a player they're valued? Through pay, right? So I think, to me, that's, that's some of that dynamic in play. And the other point I like to highlight in the discussion, and there's so many areas within it, is the whole idea that the Patriots can't place the franchise tag on Tom and, and why you know, that was part of that deal that they, mm-hmm. they struck in August is, you know, I believe that the Patriots are not a team that voluntarily gives up leverage. Right. I, I, in fact, when it happened, I, I, was, I thought to myself, is this the first time that, that they've ever done something mm-hmm. like that, right? And maybe not the first time, but certainly it's rare for them to voluntarily say, you know what? we're going to give up a, a leverage point for us. And, and so I uh, ask myself, well, why? Why would they do that? And I look at it from this perspective. After 20 years mm-hmm. of working together, like the worst thing you can do is hold something like that over a player like Tom Brady and almost force him back mm-hmm. against his own will. Like if Tom wants to be here, you know what? You want him to, 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 to be able to decide that on his own terms, Mm -hmm. and that to me is sort of an interesting point here, as much as some people say, well, why did Tom have that negotiated into his contract? Mm -hmm. And I almost look at it like a 50-50 bill, like I think the Patriots were willing to do that, like I, and I think Tom, my sense would be he wanted it in there as a leverage point for him, you know, to get the best possible deal, whether Mm -hmm. it's in New England or somewhere else. Yeah, and I mean, you think about someone like Devin McCourty, where the last time he was a free agent, and we'll get to him in a second, but uh, when Devin McCourty was a free agent, the Patriots didn't tag him, let him hit the market, let him get offers, and then trusted that he would come back and say, hey, you know, make me an offer that's going to be competitive, and they did, and he stayed. Um, So it could be a similar case with Brady. And Bill, that one was close. Right. When, When the last time Devin McCourty was a free agent, if I recall... Uh, Jaguars, Giants, Eagles, if I remember, and maybe one other team, and like he was almost like in the other building, mm-hmm. you know, uh, relative to like how close it came that he left. So that highlights the whole idea of leverage. If you know, it depends what your goals are, right, as a player. Mm-hmm. But yep. in that case, that was a big, big contract for Devin, and uh, and I thought leverage-wise, he used his leverage to get a great free agent deal. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it worked out for both sides. I mean, the Patriots kept yeah. him for the entirety of that contract. Evan McCourty played very well, part of what was the best defense in football last year, but now he is again a free agent. So let me ask you about the, you know, just in terms of the broader list of free agents here who are leaving the Patriots, Devin McCourty, Kyle Van Noy, Philip Dorsett, Jamie Collins, Danny Shelton, uh, Joe Thune. Um, of those guys, Ted Karras as well, of those guys, who are the one and two who you think are most important for the Patriots to bring back? Well, so, so well, obviously Tom, right? But we're going to yeah. put him to the side because right. we just talked about him for 20 minutes, yes, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, you know, to me, and, 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 I, and Devin, I would put on there only from a standpoint of I look at him as like a Tom Brady of the defense. Mm-hmm. This, Bill, he is so impressive, not just on the field, but off the field. And just like he's like one of those pillar foundation-type players and people. You just want a guy like that on your team, in your community. So, you know, so put those two there, like they're, they're on the top of the list. 
you know, Joe Tooney, I think, would be outstanding for them to have back as, as you know, a left guard. I think the problem for them is that the market's just going to be so far out there that it's mm-hmm. going to be hard for them to bring him back. So, you know, and I would put Matthew Slater in there, too, their special teams captain, spiritual, inspirational leader. You know, I think he, he's a key guy yeah. that they're going to want to have back. Um, so I'll go. I'm, they're older guys, too, so that's where you're always balancing being careful getting too old in free agency. But Brady, McCourty, Slater is where I would probably start my list. And then, you know, Tooney's a great player. He's going to get paid. Van Noy I'd put in the same category. Mm-hmm. They got a lot of guys, Bill. It's a huge offseason for them. Huge. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, it's one thing to say, okay, we got Tom Brady, and that's what we have to worry about, you know, the most important player in franchise history. But then you have a half dozen other guys who are either starters or significant special teamers or, you know, players who you developed into starters who you're going to have to replace. So a lot of work for Bill Belichick to do in the weeks to come, even beyond the Tom Brady situation. Um, but, Mike... We, I'm sure you'll be covering the various Tom Brady uh, maneuverings and the Patriots in and outs in the weeks to come. Where can people check out the work you do for us at ESPN? So you right on ESPN.com, the Patriots page. You just go to the NFL, highlight the Patriots page. It's all there. Uh, Twitter is at Mike Reese, R-E-I-S-S. And, Bill, one of the nice parts is when they go to ESPN.com, like, like on a day like uh, you know, Wednesday of this week, they see your article, right? Uh, so we get to be side by side, which is great because I really enjoy working with you. Well, that's very, very flattering for you to say. As someone who's been reading you now for, geez, all these 20 years now, I got to Boston. I think I, I think I moved into my dorm at Northeastern like five days before Tom Brady took over for Drew Bledsoe. Uh, in 2001. So I, you know, it, it's been part of my life for the last 20 years as well. So it's been a really fascinating time to watch, but it's very nice of you to say, Mike, and it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Appreciate you, Bill. Thanks so much, Mike. We're going to get to Mike Triplett here in a moment. But first, guys, hiring used to be hard. Multiple job sites, stacks of resumes, a confusing review process. But today, hiring can be easy, and you only have to go to one place to get it done. ZipRecruiter.com slash Barnwell. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Barnwell. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Barnwell, my last name, B-A-R-N-W-E-L-L, ZipRecruiter.com slash Barnwell. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Now back to the show. Back here on the Bill Barnwell Show, I am joined by another Mike. After talking to Mike Reese in the first segment on the show, I am joined now by another ESPN Mike. It's Mike Triplett, who covers the New Orleans Saints for us. Mike, how are you? Another Mike with a Hall of Fame free agent quarterback. We've got so much in common. That you do have so much in common. You both do great work for us at ESPN. You're both they Mike, and they are. You are both covering teams who have Hall of Fame quarterbacks who are hitting free agency. However, as opposed to the Tom Brady situation, Drew Brees has already announced that he is going to return to the NFL and presumably return to the New Orleans Saints for another year. So we can start there, but I think obviously it's a much shorter conversation in terms of, you know, what might happen here. Let's start with Drew Brees. Um, 
I mean, is there any reason to think the situation is going to be any different from what it's been in years past where it is a short-term deal with maybe a couple of voidable years added on to kind of reduce the cap hit? Um, it seems like that kind of has worked in years past. I assume it's going to work well with the Saints here in 2020. Yeah, I, I, I don't expect anything different. I, frankly, I don't understand why they don't just make it a real five-year deal mm-hmm. instead of, you know, a, a one-year deal or a two-year deal with fake voidable years. I mean, it'll void when he retires. They right. might as well just make it a real deal so they don't have to keep doing this every couple of years. But, yeah, he has taken all the drama out of free agency. The last time he was a free agent two years ago, he actually hit the open negotiating window, mm-hmm. and much to his agent Tom Condon's dismay, he, he said, I don't even want to hear what other teams are saying. Mm-hmm. I'm playing for the Saints. Don't don't even you know play the, hey, you know, another team's offering this game. So he's not doing that at all. He will come back, and I think he'll take a slight discount like he did last time. And I think the thing that that people might not appreciate that is sort of the hometown discount that he's been offering the Saints for four or five years now is he only gets one year of guaranteed salary at a time. So he's not going to sign, you know, a deal with seventy million guaranteed that you know they're they're on the hook for if he suffers some sort of injury or something. So yeah, something something between twenty five and thirty million dollars that that no matter how many years it says, it'll really be a pay-as-you-go, one-year-at-a-time kind of deal. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who, you know, if Drew Brees had wanted to really push the market and really push his leverage, he could have got a much bigger deal multiple times over the past few years. And, you know, I thought as someone who was, you know, obviously very close to the union and someone who thought about the, you know, the role he plays for other players in the league, he could have gone and said, hey, you know, I want to get a bigger contract. I want to maximize my leverage and took less money to stay with the Saints. And I mean... You know, we hear about that with Tom Brady a lot, and, and I think Drew Brees also deserves that same sort of credit for, especially later in his career, taking less money and sort of not maximizing what he could have done to help out the Saints. Yeah, not quite to the extent of Tom Brady, and right. I think a lot of Saints fans wish he would do it even more. Um, but you're right. I mean, it, there's a fine line between, you know, what these quarterbacks, and he, he is a huge, has been a huge part uh, of the union, uh, used to be on their council vice president, um, and yeah, I mean, there, there comes a point where, sure, he could probably p- play for five million dollars this year and build a super team around him. But um, you know, I, I I don't know how much of that is is precedent that you don't want to set. And it's funny, I've even asked some Saints fans on Twitter. It's like, all right, you want to see Drew Brees do that now? Then do you want to see Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan do that, <laughs> the ne- and Russell Wilson do that in the next few years when you're competing against them? Is this a precedent you really want to set? Or <laughs> yeah, that's a fair point. I mean, you know, I, I I think there's always a balance, right? You know, obviously Drew Brees at this point does not need the money. He's made a lot of money in his career. He'll, you know, he he could be the king of New Orleans if he was so inclined, and you know, he'll, he'll make plenty of money over the rest of his life, but. It's tough. I mean, you know, I, I don't know anybody, at least in my life. Maybe maybe you have richer friends or, or you know, friends that I know. But I don't know anybody who's going to turn down an extra $20 million for, for one year of football. So uh, I, th- I think Drew Brees is going to find a balance, and I think the Saints are going to have a guy who we saw play really well in 2020 when he was healthy, obviously missed time with the injury. But, you know, uh, uh, any concerns that people may have had about his drop-off at the end of 2019 seem to be kind of – put away with how he played during the 2020 regular season or 2019 regular season. I should say, obviously the playoff game did not go quite as, as you know, people might've hoped, but I, I think it's, you know, I, I can't see the Saints sitting there and saying, Hey, any of their free agents who are available would be mm-hmm. an upgrade on Drew Brees next season. 
Well, what's so remarkable with him is, yes, he does have some shortcomings mm-hmm. now that he's 41 years old, and, and he's not throwing the ball downfield as often or as successfully. But that almost makes him more impressive. It, mm-hmm. It's been fascinating to watch him reinvent himself. I mean, he's always been the all-time NFL completion percentage leader, but the three highest completion percentages in NFL history over the last three years, his two highest passer ratings of his career over the last two years – and his three lowest interception totals uh, since he's been with the Saints over the last three years. So, he, he what what he lacks in you know arm strength and fifty five hundred yard seasons and forty touchdown seasons, he's just making up for with historical efficiency and accuracy. Yeah, I mean you know I mean this is a guy who you know, he he was the he was the pitcher who threw ninety two. Uh, five yeah. years ago, and it was oh, he's great, ninety two, and now he's down at eighty eight, and it doesn't matter. He's still, you know, he's still making it work each and out every single week. So, I mean, just wildly impressive stuff from Drew Brees. But what might be more interesting in the weeks to come for the New Orleans Saints is what happens with Drew Brees' backup quarterbacks, and then let's get to those yeah. guys as well. So let's start with Teddy Bridgewater, a guy who uh, the Saints traded for during the twenty eighteen season to back up Drew Brees. Came back last year after hitting free agency when I think the only team that made him a significant offer with a chance to start were the Miami Dolphins. Mm-hmm. Teddy came, came back to the Saints. And I, I don't think anybody was rooting for Drew Brees to get hurt, but obviously it did benefit Teddy Bridgewater. Got to start five games, went five and zero, oh, impressive numbers, held on to the football, protected the football, put the Saints in a place where they were able to win each and every week. And you would figure, Mike, that the the market is going to price Teddy Bridgewater out from returning to New Orleans. Do you think there is any chance that Teddy Bridgewater is back with the Saints in 2020? Well, I won't say never because I don't know for sure that Teddy Bridgewater finds a job. Is this the first time we've ever seen more supply than demand right. at the quarterback position? I mean, there's going to be a couple of guys without jobs, whether it's Bridgewater or Jameis Winston or – you know, certainly Mariota, but I mean, who knows what happens with you know Tannehill, and who knows what happens with I don't. It's it's just really fascinating mm-hmm. to to wonder which two guys don't have starting jobs. Andy Dalton, you know, uh, but uh, some of these guys aren't going to have starting jobs. I do think Teddy Bridgewater is a chance. I do think there are some teams. I talked to people at the combine. I think it mm-hmm. sounds like there's a couple teams that are interested. The Patriots could wind up being one of them if right. they lose Tom Brady. Um, and I just think the Saints expect he'll get a decent offer. Uh, and I even even if he doesn't, I don't know that they can get into that same range again. Last year they paid him $7.25 million. I don't even know if they can do that again or, or that they're planning on that because they have so many big tra- contracts coming up and because Breeze is going to cost more than he did last year and Taysom Hill, who we're going to talk about, I'm sure, is going to yes. cost more. So all of a sudden, whereas last year they were spending about a total of $35 million on the quarterback position, um, it, it might have to be $45 million next year if they were to do that. And I, I just don't think that they can afford to keep doing that. They do want a veteran in the mix, though. Um, so if somehow Teddy Bridgewater you know, said, hey, I really want to stay, I just don't like any of the other options, maybe they could make it work. But I, I think it's a long, long, long shot at this point. Yeah, it seems tough. And I mean, you know, to that point, Teddy Bridgewater has not always been a quarterback who the NFL loved. This was a guy who really fell in a lot of camps after really struggling during his pro day before he was drafted. Yeah. Fell to, I believe he was the last pick of the first round, if I'm not mistaken, um, with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, you know, did well there before the serious knee injury, but 
didn't attract much interest when he was a free agent in 2018. The Jets signed him to a one-year deal and then traded him to the Saints last year. Again, not much interest in free agency. Obviously, yeah. showing what he could do over those five games should impress, but this is a guy who is smaller than I think most teams prefer with their quarterbacks, doesn't have dominant arm strength. I, I love Teddy Bridgewater, and I think he is a yeah. super, super underrated quarterback. I think he does so many things well that teams maybe undervalue or don't appreciate until he's actually playing for your football team. But it wouldn't shock me, even with that that five-game run, if he is one of the guys at the end who is left without a chair. And, and he does say, hey, you know, would I rather be competing for a job with, you know, the Dolphins again, for example? Or would I rather be, you know, the, the, the much-beloved backup on a Super Bowl team? And, you know, I'm the first guy in if Drew Brees struggles or gets hurt or, you know, uh, and I'm the first guy who would presumably have a shot to replace Drew Brees if Drew Brees does retire. After this season, that, you know, it, again, like to your, I agree with you on that. I wouldn't say it's likely, but I don't think you can rule it out at this point. Well, uh, look, I like Teddy Bridgewater a lot too, and I like him, you know, having covered him for the last two years as much as what he brings to the locker room. For sure. I mean, you always hear that Mike Zimmer just loves him, and I think Norvin Scott Turner just love him, and Sean Payton fell in love with him. His teammates fell in love with him. He's just got this, you know, quiet confidence about him. He fits so well in the locker room. And then when he gets thrust into action this year for a for a Super Bowl contending team, it didn't phase him. You know, Sean Payton said he has the right demeanor for the position, which you totally saw what he meant by that. Uh, but you're right. The league has passed judgment on Teddy Bridgewater many times, and, and they don't love him. They don't see, you know, Jordan Love upside with, with Teddy Bridgewater. Like, mm-hmm. I know one team that, that – could have signed him each of the last couple of years was the Denver Broncos and they weren't particularly interested in him in the draft mm-hmm. and they weren't particularly interested in kicking the tires on him in free agency. And, and obviously there's a lot of teams like that, but um, I, there are, we talk about this musical chairs. There's going to be some quarterbacks left out. The good thing is there are about 12 teams looking right yes. now. Um, so the odds of a couple of them being people who really like all of Bridgewater's intangibles are high. And, and one of them, a surprise to me seems to be the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mm. I never would have thought a coach who goes by the no risk it, no biscuit mentality would be interested in Bridgewater, who's the exact opposite of that. But obviously that's a team that probably thinks they could be a playoff team if they weren't throwing 30-plus interceptions, and, and that makes Bridgewater really attractive. I think the team that should want Teddy Bridgewater is the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. Um, so far there's no indication that they're really going to Go move on from Mitch Trubisky, but I think he's the perfect quarterback for a team that has a defense, a run game, and just doesn't want the quarterback to screw it up. Um, so I think the Bears should want Teddy Bridgewater uh, or another team like that. I mm-hmm. mean, it's exactly what he was for the Vikings when he led them to the playoffs with just 14 touchdown passes in, in 2015. Mm-hmm. And I think if the Vikings didn't have Kirk Cousins, I, I think they'd be first in line 100%. for Teddy Bridgewater again, too. 100%. I absolutely agree with you. But yeah, I mean, to that point, I, I, I think it'd be interesting. If you're Bruce Arians and you see Jameis Winston throw 30 interceptions, you might just be intrigued by a guy who threw, you know, <laughs> two picks in five games. He might be a little more appealing than he would have been before that, that season where you see Jameis start every game with a interception or a pick six. Um, you mentioned Taysom Hill. Let's get to Taysom Hill. Obviously, yeah. uh, a lot of different ways this could go. A guy who's coming off of, you know, honestly, to me at least, maybe his best game as a pro against the Vikings in the wild card round where, you know, the Saints did lose that game, but and he was maybe their best player in that game or their most productive player in that game. He really, really moved the needle for the Saints in that game. People are going to remember that. I mean, you know, obviously the, yeah. they have the ability to watch tape, but 
we're all human. You know, the, the most recent game we saw is the most meaningful one. Mm-hmm. And with Taysom Hill, he is a restricted free agent. So just to put this in context, if you're not familiar with the restricted free agent rules, you can tender a restricted free agent at one of three levels. At the original round, which in Taysom Hill's case would be an undrafted free agent, there would be no compensation if another team signed Taysom Hill. The second round level, which is for more money, I believe it's somewhere around three and a half million dollars, um, where if you... If another team signs Taysom Hill, the Saints will get a second round pick in return and the first round tender, which is in between four and five million. So obviously more, but, uh, that would be a first round pick going back to the Saints if another team signed Taysom Hill and the Saints chose not to match it. The Saints have the ability to match any offer, but the compensation they would get for another team signing Taysom Hill depends on that tender. So Mike, let's start with this. Where do you see the Saints tendering Taysom Hill this offseason? Well, first of all, I'm sure there's going to be talk about just trying to sign him to an extension okay. that, that could maybe even be more salary cap friendly and, yeah. and maybe be like, you know, um, hedging their investment on him. Maybe they can get three years at $10 million a year or less. I have no idea uh, what, what, what that price range would be. I think he's the hardest guy to put okay. a value on in the league. But if they do just do the tender, I think they probably have to do the first-round tender. Mm-hmm. Um, it's only a million dollars more. It you know it it would be a reward for what he's done. Shoot, he's probably worth four and a half million dollars as a receiver, um, much less as a, a potential future starting quarterback. And if you put the second round tender on it, it just opens the door for somebody who's willing to give up the 60th pick in the draft for him. Um, so I, I think the first round tender makes a lot of sense, and it doesn't cost that much more. Um, and once you put a first round tender on him, I think it'd be hard for another team. I mean, obviously, we immediately think of the Patriots. They would know what to do with a jack-of-all-trades like him. Right. You know, uh, They'd have fun with him. The Ravens are an interesting possibility. But I think the only way you give up a first-round pick for Taysom Hill is if you're really serious about making him your starting quarterback. And I think it would be tough for another team to be doing that this offseason. Yeah, it does like that would sort of end the conversation there, at least for the short term of, you know, Taysom Hill is going to be on the Saints in 2020. The future obviously depends on if they can sign him to an extension, but that would kind of, uh, end the conversation there. Of course, that's an extra million or 1.2 million in terms yeah. of cash space. The Saints could end up using this as a team that, you know, they're not in dire cap straits, but a lot of free agents coming out. They're going to want every cent they have to work with. Um, and a long-term contract could make sense if the two sides do find a middle ground. But I think if you asked all 32 teams what they would give Taysom Hill on a three-year contract, you would get teams huh. who would say, you know, we would do $3 million total. And I think you find some teams who say, hey, we'd give him 8 or $9 million a year if he was a free agent and we didn't have to pay any compensation. So, you know, I think just you're going to see a wide disparity in terms of how the league values him. And it seems like, and I want to ask you about this, the Saints have said all the right things about Taysom Hill possibly being – you know, a, a, a significant part of their quarterback conversation. And Drew Brees has said, hey, I'm willing to take, you know, a few fewer snaps if it means more snaps for Taysom Hill and he stays around. Um, do you think the Saints see Taysom Hill as a player who, you know, in the long run could be their full-time starting quarterback? I do. I think they're the worst negotiators in the league. <laughs> As they head into, head into the, these contract talks with them, they've, uh, they've already made him the next Steve Young. <laughs> um, but I think that's also part of trying to let him know, hey, we truly do value you. He's always wanted to be a quarterback in this league, and, and I think you know they're going to get some hometown discount credit in the bank for, for being a team that is probably going to give him a real shot to do it. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been fascinating if Breeze had retired this year, right. if they would have 
considered choosing Taysom Hill over Teddy Bridgewater. I would have been very surprised to see that. I think I think Bridgewater would have been the guy now. But as we talked, they're not going to be able to afford to keep Bridgewater as that heir in waiting, um, you know, if he goes somewhere else on the open market. And I do think they, they're fine with Taysom Hill in that role. Now, they could still draft a quarterback at any time that they love this year, next year. Um, and, you know, they could always, uh, we talk about all these free agents, Mariota, Dalton, Keenum. I mean, there's going to be cheap veterans available. So it's not a guarantee, but I think they'd give him a real shot at it. I think Sean Payton would love to design a playbook around him. You, you talked about how good he looked in the playoff game. The playoff game that made me think Taysom Hill could be a starting quarterback in this league was, was the Bills. Mm-hmm. I watched Josh Allen, and I thought, yep. I could see this being Taysom Hill and, and maybe with more rushing yards. I, I think it'd be fascinating. I think the biggest fear to me is not the fact that he's only thrown 15 passes in his entire NFL career, but the injury risk. Because I've never seen him avoid a tackle. He plays quarterback like linebacker and, right. and obviously had a lot of injuries in college as well. So it'd be tough to, to bank on him being a 16-game starter the way he plays. Mm-hmm. But I absolutely think they are serious about, yeah, I think we could make an offense work with him as the quarterback. Here's the tough part for me, though, Mike. And I heard about this. And I want to know what you think in terms of how the Saints use Taysom Hill during this season. Because... His most frequent workload came at the end of the year. It was really in December and then into that playoff game where he was playing 39% of the offensive snaps, 25%, 36%, 49% in week 17, and then 41% of the offensive snaps in the playoff game. But the point of the year where he was being used least frequently was when Teddy Bridgewater was the quarterback. 7% of the snaps against the Seahawks, 9% against the Cowboys, 22% against the Bucks, 17% against the Jags, and then I believe 17% as well against the Bears. So really not on the field very frequently. Were you surprised by that, that we didn't see more of a dose of Taysom Hill when Drew Brees was injured? A little bit, but I'm not surprised that we didn't see more of him at running back, fullback, tight end, receiver, and special teams because he was the backup quarterback during those I guess that makes sense, yeah. And and one of the things I wrote about was, you know, Sean Payton spent the whole offseason coming up with all these Taysom Hill plays, and then when Breeze was hurt, they actually lost a lot of that chunk of the playbook, too. They could mm-hmm. not risk him in the same manner when he was a backup quarterback. And and for that reason, I think, I think this year they're going to definitely sign another veteran quarterback, whether that quarterback is technically number two or number three, somebody that they can trust to go in the game um, so that they can keep using Taysom Hill and all those other offenses. I mean, for a team that has nobody catching passes besides Michael Thomas and Alvin Kamara, Taysom Hill had seven touchdown catches this year, including the playoffs. He's important to their offense as a non-quarterback, mm-hmm. and, and I think they want to keep using him in that role for sure. Uh, maybe we'll see the end of his special teams career, which mm-hmm. which he could have been a Pro Bowl special teams coverage guy. Um, but uh, But I think they want to keep using him on offense. And so I think they want to make sure they have three quarterbacks active for every game uh, this season so they can do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That makes total sense. Uh, in terms of the other free agents the Saints have, because as, as is the case with the Patriots, it's not just, you know, the quarterback situation. It's, it's how many guys with the Saints are, you know, whether they were players who were expected to play well in 2019 and didn't or guys who did play well and improved and who are going to have to, you know, possibly you know, get a bigger deal elsewhere. I mean, look at the the guys who are free agents: AJ Klein, Eli Apple, Andrews Pete, PJ Williams, Von Bell, uh, David Onyemata. 
I mean, guys who, you know, are, are significant parts of this team one way or another. Some of them are starters, some of them are rotation guys, but who do you stands out as a player who the Saints are sitting here and saying, hey, you know, obviously we can't sign everybody, but this is a guy we're going to make a priority to bring back either before free agency or, or in the first few days of free agency. Yeah, I, I actually think of that whole list. If I had to bet on one guy staying with the Saints, I might go David Onyemata. Really? Uh, I don't think he'll make the most money, mm-hmm. but I think he might be the most bang for the buck of anyone on that list. I, I think very quietly. You know, the Saints lead the NFL in run defense over the last two years. They've had the mm-hmm. best run defense in the NFL when wow. you combine 2018 and 2019, and he's a huge reason for it. He actually started every game at defensive tackle this year where Sheldon Rankins, the former first-round pick, when he came back from his Achilles injury, he was the backup. Mm-hmm. Um, now they both still rotated, um, but I, I think Onyemata is valuable, and I think they can afford to keep him. I would put Von Bell first on the list, but I think he actually did enough this year to maybe get paid in free agency, mm-hmm. and they do have a backup option in uh, uh, rookie C.J. Gardner-Johnson. Um, mm-hmm. So Bell, it, it'll depend on the market, but he's valuable. Eli Apple, they did actually like a lot of things he did, but they also have Janoris Jenkins. I think they have to choose between those two guys. Mm-hmm. Andrus Pete is a two-time Pro Bowler, but he dropped off a little bit this year at guard. I think that's a place they might save money. But what's interesting about the Saints is that this free agent class is, is not that daunting. I think they'll keep a couple of those guys, let mm-hmm. a couple of those guys go. What's really daunting financially for them is that 2017 draft class, one of the best yeah. in NFL history, they're all eligible now for contract extensions. I think we will see Alvin Kamara hold out because he's heading into the final year of his deal. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we'll see holdouts from Marshawn Lattimore and Ryan Ramchek because they have two years left on their deal since they right. were first-round picks. But all three of those guys are going to have to get paid really soon, and, and I think that's the financial stressor on the Saints. And they better hope they don't all hold out this summer yeah. because they need that new CBA to kick in so they can afford to keep all of them. Yeah, I mean, three guys who are maybe – you know, among the two or three best players in the NFL at their respective positions when they're healthy and playing well. I mean, just, you know, it's it's a good problem to have, I guess, you know, having an incredible yeah. draft. But, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's going to be it's going to be a, a, a situation not only in terms of the cap, but also just in terms of the cash you have, yeah. you know, uh, as an organization. You don't necessarily have the budget to go sign three guys to massive extensions in the same offseason. So let me finish up with this. In terms of this roster, every year it seems like the Saints manage to squeeze out some money and add a player who is, uh, you know, really ends up being really valuable to the team at a position when maybe it wasn't expected. A couple of years ago, it might have been Demario Davis, who has been awesome yeah. with the Saints. Yeah. Last year, it was Jared Cook, where it's okay, they need a tight end, but Jared Cook's, you know, didn't really get that. Jared Cook didn't have that sort of market maybe he was expecting. The Saints found a way to make it work. He was a valuable player for them when he was healthy. So is there a position you think the Saints might try and target with a veteran in that same vein this offseason? Yeah, I, they do love that that sort of second tier of free agency. They're the eight to ten million dollar guy, they, and they're always very aggressive. They always believe in adding in free agency. You're right. Um, they, they don't hit the top of the market that often. They can't afford to. But I, I do expect them to sign another guy in that class of player. You know, I would think receivers should be the top priority for them. Obviously, though, the draft seems like an avenue for every team that needs a receiver this year. And actually, I think that might make some free agents a little cheaper with yeah. every team looking to the draft. I mean, if they could get their hands on an Emmanuel Sanders or a Randall Cobb, I think that would go a long way, um, you know, without breaking the bank. Uh, but, you know, one one other area, I think both edge rusher and athleticism at linebacker, um, 
I rank number two behind their needs behind uh, um, wide receiver. And Jamie Collins is a guy I've heard they're going to have interest in. I mean, it's all going to pretend on you know his price tag, right. depend on his price tag. But that's another area I think they could go. Yeah, that makes sense. A guy who sort of like Demario Davis, you know, bounced around, was in Cleveland, came back to his first team, had a great year, um, had a, like a bounce back year, and it was sort of that question of can he keep it up? And obviously Demario Davis has kept it up for the Saints and even got to a new level. So maybe Jamie Collins could be that guy for the Saints as well. Well, Mike, a lot is coming for the Saints in the weeks uh, approaching and then hitting free agency. Where can people check out the work you're doing covering the Saints? Yeah, we obviously have a page dedicated to every team on ESPN.com, so you can see everything I'm doing on the Saints there, and then you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Triplett. Awesome. Well, Mike, thank you so much. Thank you, Bill. All right, thanks so much to my guests today, two Mikes at ESPN, Mike Triplett and Mike Reese. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We have more NFL audio coming next week, so thanks so much, and more football on the way.